0: It's Wednesday, May 10th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf, with me are Jared Smola and CA Churms. Boys, I got stuck between boys and guys, so I'm just going to call you buys and we'll, we'll turn this into a buy sell hold report. But we're almost two weeks removed from the NFL draft. It's the heart of rookie draft season. We've got Best Ball Mania 4. Rolling. If you're not a dynasty player and you're just a redraft or a best ball player, that's going. So there's lots of best ball drafting going on. You've probably seen plenty of instant reactions to all the draft picks at this point. Everybody's sad over where all our offensive favorites landed. We're going to get to some of those guys, but it's time to measure the actual impact. We'll look at how rookie drafts are actually playing out. We'll look at some of the impacts on redraft kind of stuff. We're still going to be rookie focused today because that's the season right now, but the projections are certainly live on DraftSharks.com, so you can see exactly how these guys stack up against everybody else and how they're affecting players around them. Um, the rookie draft in our Sharks, Superflex Dynasty League on FFPC is nearing completion even. Jared, do you have any favorite picks from your draft at this point on that one?
1: No, I didn't have a ton of draft capital, which t- tends to be kind of how I play dynasty. I like I like trading those picks for for veterans. I'm kind of always in win-now mode. That team's been in win-now mode for a while, but um, yeah, it's nice to have just been in some drafts at this point to actually have been on the clock and you know ha- having to decide between this second round receiver versus this third round running back. So so I think you know our our takes are probably stronger now than they were you know the, the day after the
0: draft. Yeah, I have a 250 uh, Dynasty League draft going on FFPC as well, and I had my second pick come up, and I think it's like round four. I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) The the draft's already this far in. I only need one pick so far, but then I look at my team, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I did that. Herms, how many drafts you got going right now?
2: I want to hear what Jared had to say. I was going to say,
0: I still think it's
1: not a bad year to not have a ton of rookie picks. Like, you know, I think trading them for veterans or
0: even trading it into 2024 is still a a decent move. As far as I'm concerned, it's always okay to not have a ton of rookie picks. Obviously, assuming that you're doing it right, it doesn't mean sell those rookie picks for anything. But we don't ever want to rebuild these teams, right? That's part of our core dynasty philosophy. All right, Herms, how many rookie drafts you got going right now?
2: Uh, Thankfully, not too many more. uh, But definitely, I've been through... A lot. And just the terrifying feeling that I'm always on the clock somewhere is something that, you know, the beautiful part of the year, you know, my sleeper app is very busy, a lot of notifications, all sorts of fun stuff going on there. But uh, I think I'm, I'm almost done with, I think it's nine or 10 of them or something like that. Something crazy.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to do my best to ignore any you on the clock notifications that hit my phone <laughs> during this. I don't think any league I have has a clock that's so short that it's going to run out while I'm here. So we'll focus in. We did do podcasts previewing all of these rookies going by position before the draft. And I mean, even though we're now after the draft, it's fine to go back and listen to those. You can still hear us talking happily about guys like Zach Charbonnet, <laughs> and maybe you'll get you know, real evaluations of the players as opposed to the post-draft biased version. So you can find those on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. If you do want to go back and listen, and if you're new to this, if you like our show, if you like this one, if you like any of those you listen to, if you just think Jared's eyes are pretty, let us know. You can help us out by subscribing, rating, reviewing on whatever platform you use. Tell us what you like about the show. Or frankly, you can tell us what you don't like about the show. Anybody who's been listening to us for a long time and has reached out to give me feedback can tell you, I listen to it. I take it to heart. We'll make changes for things that need changing. Or if it's something I don't think needs to change, I'll tell you why I don't think it needs to change. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. So let's jump to these rookies now. And we're not going to run through all of them because that's not what time it is. But I do think we need to start in round one because the way that round one went for the wide receivers is significant, and there are lots of players that people planted flags with. They might have changed those opinions at this point, just in case anybody has forgotten. In the two weeks since, we had four wideouts going round one. They went in immediate succession late in round one. We had Jackson Smith and Jigba to the Seahawks, Quentin Johnston to the Chargers, Zay Flowers to the Ravens, Jordan Addison to the Vikings four successive picks jared did the way this happened change anything for you either for the whole group or yeah. individuals so my my top four wide receivers stayed in
1: the same order jackson smith and jigba quinton johnston jordan addison zay flowers um, a couple things changed like the, the gaps between those top three guys between jsn and johnson and addison they got smaller especially the top two and then also for me you know Pre-draft, JSN was my number two overall for for one quarterback. He's behind Bijan. Post-draft, he he dropped a three behind Jameer Gibbs. So you know, JSN did fall a little bit, but to me, he's still the, the wide receiver one in this class. I think it just goes back to the fact that to me, he was clearly the best pro, the best prospect coming in. And I think you know we say all the time, don't overrate landing spots. Don't overrate landing spots. I, I, I'm putting it into practice here. And despite the fact that yeah, Quint Johnson's landing spot is a lot more exciting. I'm going to stick with my, you know, pre-draft evaluation on JSN and he's he's still my my top guy in this wide receiver class.
0: And I think specifically for him, it is a negative landing spot for immediate return, but you can't be too immediate when you're evaluating these guys and by next year it could be a different wide receiver situation in Seattle. So I agree, I think for this four, the way it happened shouldn't change your priors on these, you know, unless you had one of these guys way behind everybody else because you expected him to go in round two, maybe you bump him up in this group. But if you had all four of these guys close together, I don't think anything here should really change that a whole lot. Um, Herms, what about you? What any change in your opinion of these four wideouts based on how round one played out?
2: No, it worked out really well. I have them in the same order that I did before, uh, Jackson Smith and Jig was still number one. I mean, just because Tyler Lockett's still there and just because DK Metcalf is still there doesn't mean that he's going to be good, you know, eventually. Uh, And, you know, keep in mind, folks, uh, Tyler Lockett's not getting any younger. He's already pushing up into his mid-30s. And DK Metcalf, I believe, does have an opt-out in his contract after 2024. If for any reason this whole Seahawks experiment falls apart, you know, like it's not inconceivable that JSN could just be the number one dude as soon as... 2025, whatever. I don't know. But actually, as late as 2025, I'll probably be better before that. But the big thing that I really want to hammer at is Jordan Addison going to the Vikings, because, you know, we were talking, you know, if we're talking a lot of dynasty stuff right now, but for you best ball heads out there, if you're doing all those drafts, I think the best rookie wide receiver for this season may, in fact, end up being Addison, because the Vikings do run so many three wide receiver sets, like, Adam Thielen's out the way there's going to be so much opportunity for Addison out there running opposite Justin Jefferson and it wouldn't be shocking if he produces over a thousand yards some sort of crazy rookie season and I don't know that's the one that excited me the most but you know Johnston Flowers I both had them I think three and four respectively and those landing spots are interesting but there's some traffic ahead of them on the depth chart but either way all good I agree with
0: you on Addison for best ball, and it's interesting. He's still going behind JSN in underdog drafts, and I think that's a mistake. I think Addison's going in the range where you can take him at wide receiver 35 on underdog. Jackson Smith and Jigba is uh, a do-not-draft for me at wide receiver 29 in underdog drafts for redraft. I agree with you guys on him um, not changing. I don't want to – he's not my number one. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I agree with the landing spot not changing him overall longer term but I think it absolutely changes him for this year's draft specifically Jared what about you with JSN for 2023
1: yeah I'm off him at wide receiver 29 unfortunately I mean landing you know landing with two high-end wide receivers now flashback a couple of years we saw JSN not produce two high-end wide receivers at Ohio State and, and Chris Olave and Gary Wilson so I'm not I'm not projecting him to outproduce Matt Keff or Lockett this season but it's also not impossible if he's you know as good as some people think he is like you know maybe he does at least make it like a you know a three horse race for, for the top wide receiver there i'm with you guys too on addison being the best short-term fantasy asset landing in minnesota the vikings kind of quietly i didn't even realize this until i until i started you know digging into 2023 projections but minnesota ranked third last year in both pass rate and total pass attempts um and i think as um, herm said adam Thielen gone feeling saw 107 targets Last year, I think that's like exactly what we have Addison projected for right now. So even, you know, he's never going to be the number one receiver in Minnesota, which I think is fine because I think that was one of the questions with him anyways. You know, he's only 173 pounds. Can he be a lead receiver at the next level? He's not going to have to be in Minnesota, but I think there's still plenty of volume available to him even behind Jefferson.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. There there was a lot more passing in Minnesota last year. And I I thought that KJ Osborne was better than he was when I looked back at those numbers. So I I think the immediate opportunities there, I think Addison for me got the best positive impact because I wondered if he was going to fall into round two, you know, given that he's not especially big, not especially fast. And there were these other productive guys so that he went right with them in the draft, I think solidifies that it's the top four. Quentin Johnston, as I've said all along, was my number one wide receiver from the first point at which we did these rankings. And nothing's changed for me there, because even though he lands with the Chargers, who have Mike Williams, who have Keenan Allen, I mean, those two are even shakier beyond this season than Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Mike Williams has never been a target hog. So even if he's there you know, forever with the Chargers, he's doesn't look like the same bet as TK Metcalf to lead the wide receiver core in targets, or at least to get to the point where you can't be a close number two. And then Keenan Allen, I mean, there were rumors about him potentially leaving the team this offseason before he restructured his contract. He's getting older. He looks older than Tyler Lockett. So I think Keenan Allen's probably out of the picture by next year. And Quentin Johnston could be excellent by next year and could definitely factor into one of the most pass heavy offenses this season. Yeah. So
1: Allen and Mike Williams are both signed through 2024, but they both carry cap hits over 30 million in 2024. So I don't think it's possible for the chargers to keep both of those guys unless, you know, one or both restructure those deals. So I kind of do think one of them will be gone next year. That obviously opens things up for Quentin Johnson. I, I like the landing spot. You also, obviously you're tied to Justin Herbert, which is good news. We talked po- uh, pre-draft about how, you know, Quentin Johnson's a, interesting prospect because he's a bigger guy but he almost plays smaller and to me his best his, you know his best aspect of his game is his after catch ability which is what you don't think of a more smaller wide receiver so he needed to land with a good offensive coordinator kellen moore to me is near the top of the league of like ocs i trust to get the most out of Quentin johnston and i just watched one of um, brandon staley's post-draft press conferences and he specifically highlighted Quentin Johnson's yards after catch ability even, you know, high, uh, even uh, mentioned that he averaged, you know, 8.9 yards after catch last year. So I do think this is the coaching staff
0: that Quinton Johnson needed to like, you know, use him correctly at the NFL level. Kellen Moore ran four offenses for Dallas. Three of them finished inside the top nine in net yards per pass attempt. That included last year where Dak Prescott missed nearly a third of the season. So I agree. The fit's great. I'm excited about Quentin Johnston. Really at this point, that's like the one thing where I'm like, man, maybe I shouldn't have given away all those round one rookie picks. So I'm <laughs> ca- I got to decide just what I'm willing to try to give away for him in trade. So we'll see how that sorts out. But we're going to move ahead to the round two wide receivers now And I mean, depending on how you look at it, it might even be a more interesting group just because we knew what the top four basically was, even if we disagreed on the specific order of the players. Round two, we got Jonathan Mingo going to Carolina, Jaden Reed going to Green Bay, Rashi Rice going to the Chiefs. I'm going to have to give him a call and maybe see exactly where the emphasis belongs in that name. (laughs) Then Marvin Mims to the Broncos. So Herms, first off, I guess who would you be drafting first among these guys in a rookie draft right now? You're on the clock. They're all on the board and you can't take anybody else.
2: Well, in that situation, I think we have to go with the Mingo Bingo. Come on, everybody. I mean, here, if you look over on our YouTube channel, one of the fun things that I did before the draft was putting together some fun team and prospect fits. And one of the things that I mentioned was like, wouldn't it be cool if the Carolina Panthers had some like big bodied X receiver? Because Frank Reich running that offense that he had over there in Indianapolis, scheming up a lot of targets and touches for Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Then they went ahead and did that by bringing in Jonathan Bingo. And, you know, if you go over to the website, check out his profile. Like, there are some things missing from Jonathan Bingo's production in college. But the one thing we do know is that he's huge and he can make some plays happen. (laughs) And now that we know that he's going to be paired with Bryce Young long term, I think it would be a ton of fun. I got to be honest, Jaden Reed's pretty close there at number two for me. But if I'm just going with the most fun thing, and then also just kind of you know just picking up the baton from myself for a call that I made beforehand, yeah, Jonathan Mingo. Like it just it makes all the sense in the world. I did not think he would get drafted as high as he did. So you know, I I'm, I'm willing to trust the Panthers. I'm willing to Nothing. trust. Them. Nothing like running
0: a relay race with yourself over Jonathan Mingo. Jared, yeah. I think you became a bigger fan of Jonathan Mingo while doing his uh, prospect profile. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, he's easy to get excited about. Like like Herm said, he's 6'2", 220 pounds. He tested off the
1: charge 98th percentile relative athletic score. Um, and it, it, there's fun stuff on tape, right? He, he's good downfield. You see the speed downfield. He's really good after the catch. Uh, he's another guy, you know, not, not quite as good as Quentin Johnson to me. But Mingo averaged 7.3 yards after the catch per reception last year. Again, at 220 pounds. He was also one of only 12 wide receivers in the country to earn a perfect PFF grade on deep balls. So, again, he has the deep ball ability. He has the after-catch ability. He has the size. I'm trying not to get too, too excited because the production profile just isn't there. I mean, he spent four years at Ole Miss. He never led the team in receiving. Now, it did – if you go back to his junior year, it looked like he was about to break out that year. He put up big numbers through. I think it was the first three games. Then he suffered that stress fracture in his foot missed the rest of the season and you know it's possible that was even still a factor last year because that is a tough injury for receivers to recover from but and but again so the production's not there but then you factor in you got the draft capital I like the landing spot he's tied to Bryce Young I think Frank Ruggs a good offensive mind there are guys in Carolina's wide receiver core but like no one I'm particularly worried about like if Mingo's if Mingo's the man he, he can be the number one wide receiver there, like even like by by the end of this season, right? Like there's no one there we're super worried about. So, um, and especially in this class where there's not a ton to get excited about outside the top, like, you know, 10 or so picks um, in these rookie drafts. I think Mingo's worth considering when you get to like the end of round one in one quarterback leagues. And then, you know, like early middle round two in super flex.
0: I don't disagree with any of the sales points on Jonathan Mingo <laughs> so far, but I think my issue with him is that Everybody has changed their mind about Jonathan Mingo based on where he went in the draft. And even though we're not excited about any wide receivers currently in Carolina, they did sign Adam Thielen for a pretty good bit of money and then called him a key piece of replacing DJ Moore. Now, I think that's a laughable notion, but it at least points to the role that Adam Thielen is going to play right away. They signed DJ Chark. They still have Terrace Marshall around. So you know, although that's a depth chart that Mingo could climb this year, it's also a depth chart that he could sit forth in all year. And I think there's a distinct possibility that a year from now, people are like, man, why was I so excited about Jonathan Mingo last spring? And then all of a sudden he's viable. So I am concerned about not producing early in college. I know that the COVID year kind of threw off a little bit of when people's breakouts happen. There was the injury that you mentioned and he absolutely, you know, could be good here. I might pull back and I, maybe it's just what I always do. But when I see everybody say, wow, Mingo, now he's my guy. I'm like, wait a second. Why were we not this excited before? Maybe we're overreacting. Yeah. Again, in this class, I think you
1: could easily make a case for him as the wide receiver five. If I'm actually in a rookie draft though, and like he's sitting there and, and I'm in that spot where he's like about to go, I'm I'm trading down and, and Marvin Mims is still my guy in this tier. And I, you know, these four wide receivers are all in the same tier for me, but I actually prefer Mims best among them. And he tends to go fourth among these guys. I like got, he's been going late second in most of the rookie drafts I've been in so far. Um, You know, go back to the prospect profile production wise. Awesome. He breaks out as a freshman leads Oklahoma in receiving yards all three of his years there Um, early, early declare. He just turned 21 years old. He runs a four, three, eight at the combine. So a lot to like for, for Mims just as a prospect pre-draft falls to the late second round, but you know, Denver made him their first pick of the draft and they traded up to get him. And let's remember this is the first draft under new head coach, Sean Payton. So That that means a lot to me. I know there's you know Jerry Judy is still there. He he his fifth year option was picked up, so he's signed for two more years. Cortland Sutton's still there for now, but um I think he um he Denver saves ten million if they move on from Cortland Sutton after this season. So even if you know that the trade rumors don't come to fruition, I think there's a good chance Sutton is gone by next year. So I I could see Mims being a top two wide receiver on this team, and you know quarterback questions long
0: term with Wilson there, but I, I do like
1: like Sean Payton and obviously what he did in New Orleans for all those years.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a a good situation, maybe even a better situation than Seattle to say, if you look at it right away, you think Mm -hmm. it's crowded. You think Marvin Mims is blocked and that his um, value takes a big hit. But I mean, Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, there's even a better chance than with the guys in Seattle that, any of these guys could be out of the picture by next year and creating space for Marvin Mims. So Jared, if you're not able to trade down, if you have to make a pick and it's Jonathan Mingo and Marvin Mims still on the board, are you taking Mingo ahead of Mims or are you (laughs) taking Mims? I might take
1: Mingo just for the, like the dynasty value and hope to flip him and like, you know, a month or two, right? Like if just, if the rest of my league views Mingo higher, maybe just as just to accrue as much value as I can, I might just end up taking Mingo. But like if I'm forced to pick and I can't trade these guys, I, I do, I do prefer Mims.
0: Uh, Herms, do you think that tends to work taking a guy that you don't really want more and then trying to trade <laughs> him within the next two months?
2: Rarely, if ever, but sometimes, <laughs> if, but it all comes back to, if you know your league mates, it depends on who, you know, and what they're all about.
0: I would just caution you Jared that if nobody in your league is war is willing to trade up to get Mingo, <laughs> the chances are low that they're going to trade to get Mingo later on. I can't leave this section without talking about Jaden Reed, of course, because I've been talking about him through much of draft season. Um, you know, people kind of caught up on Jaden Reed. And then he finally landed in round two and he landed with a Green Bay team that presents immediate opportunity. We talked about the depth charts elsewhere giving opportunity. Green Bay presents that as well. Christian Watson looks like he's going to lead that crew. He's the most physically gifted receiver on hand there. He's also heading into just year two. So we don't really know what his role is going to look like. Romeo Dobbs spent a lot of time starting last year. He had a really nice camp and impressed coaches there. Maybe he's set as the number two, or maybe Jaden Reed challenges that. Maybe Jaden Reed just fit, like fits in the slot between those guys, and they're all on the field, and Reed is a good source of target share while sharing the field with those players. For me, I'm betting on a player who was an immediate target share grabber in college, did so as a true freshman at Western Michigan, despite Dwayne Eskridge being on that team. Then he transferred to Michigan State. What I read was he was looking for a bigger challenge. So he went to Western Michigan. He was like, this is easy. I'm gonna go to a bigger school. Went to Michigan State and immediately got target share there as well, produced there across his time. You know, Not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy. This was a good class in which to be neither of those things. So I like the player. I like the opportunity. I'm taking Jaden Reed ahead of the rest of these guys because I believe more in him, both fit wise and the proven production to this point.
2: Didn't we both have him in our top 10 in the pre-draft rankings? I believe so. Yes, dude. I'm so excited about it. Because it, the greatest thing that he has going for him, like kind of the opposite of some of the guys that we were talking about before is like just the immediate path to production. Because I mean, like outside of Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, What's on the Packers roster? I mean, those tight ends, the two rookies that they both drafted, they have to sort their own situation out, but that's the tight end position. We're not talking about receiver folks. And I think, if I remember correctly, in the profile, we had mentioned something about how Jaden Reed – was you know kind of lined up out wide a lot in college. Maybe it wasn't always the best fit for him, but I remember because it was he was either at the senior bowl or the east west game, it's whatever, meaningful. whichever. Yeah. And people kept talking about the fact that when he was running those receiver drills, like doing the slot stuff, they were all like, oh wow, look at this kid. Oh, he could be something. And now look at him. Now look at him, folks. Oh, yeah, he spent most player. of last
0: year working outside for Michigan State and then at the Senior Bowl where it is NFL coaches running things. He was almost exclusively in the slot. So that to me yeah. says the NFL's like, "Kid, you're going to make it in the slot." You know, we'll we'll see what Green Bay says.
1: Yeah, definitely definitely a post draft riser. Largely because he goes 50th overall, which is awesome draft capital. Definitely way higher than I expect him to, to, expected him to go. I think the landing spot is okay. Like, there's definitely a path to immediate playing time. Now, the Packers, even with Aaron Rodgers, they were like a balanced offense in terms of run pass split under Matt Lafleur. Now that it's Jordan Love, like I think it's going to be a run heavy offense. So, and, and of course, Love himself is a major question mark. Like Green Bay might be looking for a new quarterback at this time next year. So there are some questions there, but just draft capital alone. I think Reed needs to move up your, your rookie wide receiver rankings. And he, he still goes late in some of these drafts too. Uh, Matt, I think, I think our draft are like actually, he even dropped to the late third, didn't he? It's super flex, but you know, he was a late third rounder.
0: Yeah. I was annoyed to see where he went. I think I took Noah Fant at the end of that one, because even though it's called a rookie draft, there's veterans on the board, it's tight end premium. So it was a, a no brainer for Noah Fant over Jaden Reed. That particular format also kind of downplays the value of being patient with players, but Typical dynasty rookie drafts. I think Jaden Reed belongs anywhere in round two. And I agree. I've been seeing him fall. So he's definitely somebody to target before we get out of this section. We got to talk Rashi rice. Um, Jared, do you think that people are (laughs) overrating the landing spot for him going to Kansas city? Probably. I mean, it's, it's tough
1: not to right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes and a wide receiver core. That's still wide open. Um, so a couple things on Rice. One, I think at least I probably underrated him as a prospect pre-draft. Um you know, ha- had had the massive 2022 season, 96 catches, um 1355 yards, 10 touchdowns. He was uh top 10 in both PFF receiving grade and yards per route run among 286 qualifying wide receivers last year. And he he also led SMU in catches as a sophomore and junior. So it wasn't like he you know just broke out and had this big senior season. Now, you know, that knocks against him. He is a four-year college player. He's already 23 years old. He played against lower-level competition at SMU, but it's still a pretty nice production profile. And then he also tested really well, too. He's 204 pounds, and he earned a 95th percentile relative athletic score. So this is a nice prospect, and the Chiefs did take him in the second round. Now, he's the third wide receiver the Chiefs have taken in the second round over the past five drafts. The other two are McCole Hardman and Sky Moore. Hardman at this point, it's safe to say he was not worth a second round pick jury still out on Sky Moore, obviously, but it wasn't a very encouraging rookie season. So I don't really think the Chiefs have earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to, you know, evaluating these wide receiver prospects. So uh, we'll, we'll see on rice. It's, uh, he obviously should move up your rankings based on the draft capital and the landing spot, but you know, don't, don't go overboard on it. Cause you know, we,
0: again, we've, we've seen the Chiefs miss on these guys recently. I think even more important than how their previous round two wide receivers have fared is that the wide receiver other than Tyree Kill in Kansas City has just not been a smash player so far. Tyree Kill and nobody else has been a big performer. Juju Smith-Schuster gave us some usable games last year. MVS did MVS things, but otherwise it's just been this spot that is overrated in general. And I think the the plot, the positive is we don't know about Kadarius Tony. We don't know about Sky Moore. So there's room for anybody to take control. The other hand is, you know, it's just this committee and maybe nobody's going to step out and give us regular production. So as long as you don't overrate it, I like Rashi Rice in this spot. We've talked through our individual opinions on these wide receivers. But if you're a DS insider, then you know that we're not just all giving our individual opinions on the site. We put all this together. We put out one set of rookie rankings. You can find the 1QB rankings and Superflex rankings of these rookies on DraftSharks.com right now you know we listed everybody's rankings before the draft but now it's serious time it's it's not time to play anymore it's time to actually do these rookie drafts it's time to do startup drafts it's time to get ready for the 2023 season so check the website you will find one version you can see those rookie rankings and you can check the robust dynasty rankings obviously that include the veterans as well that of course takes Jared's projections it takes alex's geeky algorithms it takes kevin's secret tight end crush it takes herms's rb goggles and then i look at it and fix all the players that everybody else got wrong and you get these dynasty rankings that have one year three year five year ten year outlooks it's just the best set of dynasty rankings you're going to find anywhere so i would recommend that you go ahead check it out right now i'm going to wait a second so you can do that all right, now we're going to move on to the round three running backs. And this is an interesting group that we've got to sort through to remind people of the names we're talking about and the order in which they went. Kendra Miller, Ty J Spears, Devon A-Chain. I've been calling him Devin for too long, so I'm trying to correct myself out loud. Devon A-Chain and Tank Bigsby are the round three guys. Herms, you are a running back guru through the rookie you know, profile process. Who's the guy that you want to start out talking about here?
2: A chain is my boy. I had him very aggressively ranked in the first place because I was really banking on him landing in a spot where he would just have all of his skill set accented by the offensive system and everything and whatnot. And that worked out because landing with the Miami dolphins, he is basically just Raheem Mostert, but better. And like a full decade younger, because, you know, people think about a chain and they're like, ah, geez, he's a little bit on the smaller side. I mean, he was barely like, you know, less than 190 pounds. How much of a workload is he possibly going to get? And then I looked at it. He's like an inch shorter and maybe like 15 pounds lighter than Raheem Mostert is. And we have seen a player like Mostert succeed in the outside zone run scheme. So, you know, like when they're they're out there doing that thing, or, you know, they're going to pull a guard, they're going to push things to the outside, create a lot of space. So that way it's more about your explosiveness and less about your vision between the tackles, doing the whole gap attack thing. It really benefits players that are super fast, which is what A-Chain is. As the guy who ran the fastest 40 time of any running back at the NFL Combine, we've seen... His production in college, just absolutely torching dudes. Because once he turns the corner, it's really hard to track him down. He's got Madden level speed. I am just really looking forward to seeing what Mike McDaniel has, you know, in mind for him. And you know, Mostert's gonna be there, Jeff Wilson's gonna be there. Uh, who's the other guy that they signed and brought back? Miles Gaskin. So, like, they brought everybody back. And I think, like, at first, you're like, oh no, what are they gonna do? Hold you but you don't draft a guy on day two especially a guy like a chain and then just not use them because your oldie veteran running backs are there for like i don't know three or four million dollars a piece on one year deals don't let that dissuade you a chain landed in the best possible spot
0: i think who's that other guy is the perfect nickname for miles gaskin jared what do you think about devon a chain landing in miami I mean, I'm with Herms that it's the ideal landing spot. And I, I'm actually most excited about his upside
1: in the passing game, right? Because I mean, we, we know Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, they're going to see 50 to 55% of Miami's targets. But their number three wide receiver is going to be Braxton Berrios or Chosen Anderson or mm-hmm. Cedric Wilson. And the tight end room, Durham Smythe, Tyler Croft, and Eric Sauber. So, like, there is a clear, clear path for HA to be the third option in this passing game and get, you know, 10 to 12% of the targets right out of the gate and maybe eventually like a 15% target strike I think that's on the table for him. So that's the exciting part. I mean, the, the weight to me is a concern. I mean, 188 pounds. You look at, I looked at running backs 195 pounds or lighter over the last 10 years. So that's even giving H. a chain another seven pounds. Like the best fantasy contributors are Justin Forsett, Tariq Cohen, Philip Lindsay, Dion Lewis, JD McKissick. Like that's the type of player we're talking about here. So that, that's my concern. Like what is the ultimate ceiling of a guy at this weight? But I think like, like whatever that ceiling is, like landing in Miami is going to, is going to help a chain reach that.
0: Hey Siri, set an alarm for when Jared stops naming uh, dolphins tight ons. No, I, I agree. <laughs> so the question with, Devon A-Chain is that workload. And, you know, Herms, you brought up Raheem Mostert when he hit his combine, or maybe it was pro day, but as a prospect, he weighed 190. He's packed on a little bit more than that now. But similar size dude entering the league. I I think you have to make sure at draft time that you don't get too excited about A-Chain. And when I say too excited, I mean draft him too early, because that workload question is realistic. And this is a good spot to kind of accentuate that San Francisco has long, not only boosted the production of running backs, but also frustrated us by using so many of them that we're not sure who to start. So he could be an excellent player for Miami and still be somebody that we struggle to know when to put into fantasy lineup. So I want to have a chain around, I want to make sure I don't take him too early just in case he doesn't get those consistent enough touches for me to actually start him and take advantage. That's why I like Tyje Spears better. And obviously the big issue with Tyje Spears, we knew about going in, but they decided to tell us more about immediately after the draft. It's the mm-hmm. knee stuff. It clearly impacted his draft position if we are all being told about it on Monday, I guarantee the Titans weren't watching Good Morning NFL and thinking, oh, crap. I didn't know that Ty J <laughs> Spears didn't have an ACL in that knee. Guys, Mike Vrabel says he's comfy with the knee. He said, Rand Carthon is comfy with the knee. He did add, we might change that in the future. So, you know, he's acknowledging that we don't know everything about the knee, but that they do know what's going on. I, I, I take this back to one of our key components of dynasty though, Jared. And when we're talking about running backs specifically, yeah. we want to get in early on running backs because they have shorter production windows. So if the Titans aren't worried about his knee enough that they're going to draft him in round three with a chain yeah. still on the board with Tank Bigsby still on the board, I'm going to downplay that in my own consideration. I'm going to go for the guy that looks like a better three down bet than a chain. He's 13 pounds heavier than Devon a chain entering the league. He's also dynamic himself, 6.8 yards per carry career, good receiving production in college, strong dominator score last year for Tulane. So I had Spears ahead of a chain before we had Spears as a consensus ahead of a chain before the draft. To me, the way this all played out and the late arriving specifics on his knee aren't enough to make me change that.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty nice landing spot too. I mean, obviously Derrick Henry is the Titans guy, and there were some trade rumors well, like about a month ago to Philly specifically. That's obviously not going to happen now after they swung the deal for DeAndre Swift. So, so I think Henry's in Tennessee for this coming season. But th- this is the final year of his contract, and he turns thirty in January. So like you know, starting in twenty twenty four, there's opportunity for for Spears to be at least the lead back in Tennessee. And you're right. We do care about, you know, a sh- much shorter window at running back. Like the Titans probably only care about the first four years of Spears. That's probably what we should be caring about as dynasty owners too. So I don't think the knee stuff is worth knocking him much. I do think it's worth keeping in mind though. And for me, like within this tier, like it's enough for me to bump Kendra Miller over him, at least maybe a chain, if I'm in a full PPR league, um, just cause it, it, you know, I, I just rather have a running back with two good knees when they're, you know,
0: 22, 23 years old. Uh, That's kind of just like a, a tiebreaker for me. Yeah, that's fair. And I think with all these guys going in the same round in the NFL draft, it's okay if you have these guys in any order, as far as I'm concerned, on your rookie draft board. Herms, are we underrating Tank Bigsby by not talking about him more yet?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, We've gotten to the Tank Bigsby portion of the program. I'm glad that we've finally reached this stage. Uh, Yeah. No, honestly, this dude has so much really fun opportunity ahead of him in Jacksonville because you think about the fact, okay, Travis Etienne is there. That's going to be a bit of a problem. He's probably going to get the majority of the high-value touches. You know, especially as a receiver out of the backfield, Etienne is much better at doing that than I think Tank Bigsby is. But Bigsby only has to beat out Jamichael Hasty and Dearness Johnson in order to earn the RB2 role. And also with Bigsby's size, it's not inconceivable that he could immediately take over a lot of like the short yardage stuff and the early down work and make this a lot more of a committee than people are, you know, Kind of hoping for because people that have rostered Travis Etienne for a long time have you know hoped for the fact like ah he could be one of the bell cows he could be one of these like mega producers with all the volume in the world blah 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 blah, blah. but. Their GM keeps drafting running backs. They keep adding to this room. It's clear they want to do something, and you don't take a guy like Bigsby, who had absolutely no offensive line help in front of him in his entire career at Auburn, but still managed to produce year in, year out in the toughest college conference in America. So just... ah. Dude, He's going to be a ton of fun. I think he is honestly like the steal of rookie drafts going right now, like sometimes in the late second round, but he slips into the third round a lot of the times that I've seen. And I think by the time all is said and done, he will be my most drafted running back <laughs> in this wow. class.
0: I like it. I think that if tank Bigsby had gone to any of the other three landing places in round three, I might be drafting him over Zach Charbonnet. I loved the prospect coming into the draft workhorse role in college, as you mentioned, productive, despite one of the worst offensive lines in the nation, terrific receiving usage, 15% target share as a senior. That's like Rashad white level receiving usage to close out college. I think Travis Etienne is mildly overrated at this point. Now he entered the NFL with huge receiving numbers in college, but the way that Doug Peterson used him last year says that Doug Peterson doesn't view Travis Etienne as an elite receiver among among running backs. I'm not saying that Travis Etienne is a bad receiver, but the evidence that Jacksonville gave us last year says they don't see him as somebody that they need to get the ball to as a receiver. Tank Bigsby, I think, is at least close maybe even maybe better. We'll see exactly what they think about him. We also have heard Doug Peterson say it takes more than one running back. And we know that yeah. that's generally the idea in the NFL. So I think the initial thought for a lot of people is crap. He's blocked by Travis ETN there. I think it's really more, he's going to share work with ETN. We'll see just how much they share um, with the Jaguars. Jared, what do you think of tank Bigsby?
1: Yeah, I'm less excited about Bigsby than you guys are.
0: Um, I think his, his profile is fine.
1: Nothing about it really gets me excited, um, and I'm probably higher on ETN than you guys are. Remember that he he was a you know he was a first round pick, um, and yeah, I mean Peterson said all offseason by a different staff. Yep, Peterson said all offseason that he wanted to add a back, so I expected the Jags to draft one. I didn't expect it to be a day two guy. So that was surprising. I just like, so You do you guys think Bigby is going to have standalone fantasy value behind a healthy ETN? Because to me, he's like, he's the handcuff, which is worth something. But I just don't think he's someone that we're going to be able to start the next, you know, at least two years
0: while ETN is the lead guy in Jacksonville. I think Tank Bigsby is at least a similar bet for work over the next two years as Dev- Devon A. Chain and Kendra Miller are.
2: I think there's a decent chance that Tank Bigsby could be a guy that you could flex in your lineups this year. Okay. That'd be bad news for ETN then. The,
1: the, I mean, the, the Kendra Miller point, um, like immediately, yeah, I think that's true. You know, Bigsby might be as good or a better bat, but like with, with Miller, he's behind an aging Alvin Kamara who has, you know, suspension risk, obviously and aging and kind of like just, okay, Jamal Williams. I just think, you know, I think, I think ETN is a bigger
0: roadblock to Bigsby than um, anything in the Saints backfield is. Um, yeah, that's fair. Travis Etienne signed through 2024 at this point. The fifth-year option is an option beyond that. It's no lock the way that the league is treating running backs at this point. We just saw Josh Jacobs last year have the team decline the option. So, you know, we'll see how long um, Travis Etienne is in the way. And certainly if he's around for two years, that's going to cut into um, Tank Bigsby's value. Not somebody I'm getting overly excited about, but I like the player more than I like the situation. I'm not going to let the situation push me away from him um Roshan Johnson did not go in round three but he did land in Chicago which I think makes him worth comparing to all these round three guys especially because there was no other running back in round four Herms you did the Roshan Johnson profile are you drafting him ahead of any of those round three running backs we just
2: talked about I mean, I would probably consider him over Taizé Spears just because, at least as far as that goes, it's about risk tolerance. And I am not somebody who wants to invest in somebody that has torn their ACL twice and just has like a ton of like cartilage damage and stuff. But I can definitely understand the world in which, you know, people would prefer the inverse and like it's a completely defensible move, as we talked about earlier. But the thing about Roshan Johnson is that. You know, he only started playing running back in his freshman year of college. He was recruited there to University of Texas to play quarterback as you know a part of like the dual threat archetype, which I think is actually kind of important and something that people in the Bears front office or coaching staff, I can't remember where the quote came from exactly, but one of the things that they really, you know, liked about him was the fact that he has the instincts of a quarterback. That is just playing the running back position and I think in that Bears offense in which there's going to be a ton predicated around you know play action and run pass option he will be able to mind meld really well with Justin Fields out there on the field and that's going to be a super cool thing and going back to his inexperience like he's only been playing the position for you know however many years now he never really dominated the backfield because Bijan Robinson was there the whole time, but he still netted round four draft capital, which if we kind of grade that on a bit of a curve screams to me, oh, snap, the NFL really likes this dude and he's huge. And I think he's pretty versatile and also very, very good at pass protection, which is a very important thing. So like i i've already i've already seen a quote saying you know the bears would like to have a committee in backfield you know this season wow, 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 wow. but like we hear similar things from teams like this you know, early in the spring all the time you never really know what's going to shake out deontay foreman's not costing them a ton of money but i digress i've gone too far i'm just very excited about roshan johnson i love these running picks I mean, the
0: key is pretty much every team has a committee backfield. So anybody who reads that and is like, oh, so that's going to cap his upside. Like, no, it's not. There are like three teams that don't have a committee running back. And that's why you consider that guy in the first round. The thing that impresses me most with Roshan Johnson is he arrived in college as a quarterback, moved to running back, and immediately caught 23 passes in his first season, 30 targets. Like you see the numbers get smaller after that because, as you mentioned, Bijan Robinson's there Everybody's going to be working behind that guy. But this guy carried 123 times as a freshman, having been a quarterback, did that stuff immediately, can catch passes and can pick up blitzers. And those are things that running backs a lot of times hit the NFL not great at and they have to work mm-hmm. on those aspects. So, Jared, when you take a guy that's this size, he can already yeah. do those things. It makes me want to bet on him in that backfield. I'm OK with taking him over any of those round three guys if you have an immediate need. Now, I think it, it gets to the question of whether you should be addressing immediate needs over long term. I think specific to running back and talking about a round four running back versus round three running backs. I think in that case, it's OK to take somebody that you believe is a better bet for immediate work and has a clearer path to production this season. You know, I'm taking Roshan Johnson over Tank Bigsby
1: in rookie drafts, both both for the immediate opportunity and even longer term. I mean, I, I had them, I think, back-to-back pre-draft, and I, I like Johnson's landing spot better. Draft capital, you know, slightly in favor of Bigsby, but not really enough to, for me to really factor that in. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you guys nailed it with Johnson in the passing game. The fact that he caught 23 balls as a true freshman at Texas. Bears GM Ryan Poles has already highlighted his pass protection ability as a reason why they liked him. And who are the other two guys in the Bears' backfield? Khalil exactly. Herbert and Dante Foreman, <laughs> who are basically zeros in the passing game. So I think right out of the gate, Rashawn Johnson could be the Bears passing down back. And I, I like Khalil Herbert and the advanced metrics like Khalil Herbert. I don't know if the NFL or the Bears do, right? I mean, they let Dave Montgomery go, but then they signed Danta foreman in free agency and they draft Rashawn Johnson. So. And Travis
0: Homer. And
1: Travis Homer. And, and he's the one who you know, I thought was the guy who might steal passing down work before Johnson right? But I think Johnson has the inside track. So I think the, I think the backfield's wide open. Um, I think it will be a committee. I think it's a, a committee alongside a rushing quarterback in Justin Fields who's going to take a lot of the goal line work. So it's not, it's not an awesome spot, but I think it's a spot where Johnson could get on the field immediately.
2: Yeah, it's a good
0: spot for, um, you know, for potential touches available. It's not an awesome spot for touchdown upside, as you say, or um, receptions. But in terms of just, you know, immediate opportunity, it's nice. I've never been a Khalil Herbert fan. I'm the staff um, (laughs) anti-Khalil Herbert, trying to keep people from rating him too high. And, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it. Like, you can't point to these moves and say, obviously, they hate Khalil Herbert, but when, you, when they let David Montgomery walk, it was like, oh, okay, maybe Khalil Herbert takes over. And then, as you said, they signed Foreman, they signed Travis Homer, they drafted Roshon Johnson. None of those guys is a stud, but it's like, all right, we're going to gather a bunch of things and yeah. see what works, as opposed to handing the job over to Khalil Herbert here. So... You heard what we think about Roshan and round three running backs. Now it's your turn. Where do you rank Roshan Johnson among these running backs? Who's your favorite of the round three guys that we talked about? Comment below our faces on YouTube. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Herms, you've got to pick somebody else besides Roshan Johnson as your favorite day three running back. Don't worry. I'm going to write it down in the book. He's not your favorite. Roshan Johnson is your favorite day three running back. So I'll start with you and your second favorite day three running back.
2: I think, I don't know if they're my second favorite per se, but at least in terms of the opportunity, Chris Rodriguez there with the commanders has something kind of going for him. Cause we think about what's there on that depth chart. Like, Brian Robinson, kind of the big boy doing, you know, the the between-the-tackles, you know, early-down, short-area stuff, and Antonio Gibson's out there on his little pass-catching island. But if anything ever happened to Brian Robinson, injury-wise, I sincerely doubt that they would end up trusting Antonio Gibson with just this mega-role, because I think we learned this lesson already. Once upon a time, a lot of people really liked Antonio Gibson, but guess what? He's not going to be you know the bell cow that a lot of people hope for, including myself. It was disappointing for me as well. But Chris Rodriguez is an absolutely huge dude, absolutely built, and would immediately step into fantasy relevance as early as this season, and he's just one injury away from doing that. And we can't really say that about a lot of guys drafted in day three anyway, you know, because I think, like, Lou Nichols got drafted by the Packers. He's another guy that I really liked. He dominated college football a couple of years ago, but that would require both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon going down probably. And what are the odds that we're going to see that? You know, and I could say that about however many different players, but Chris Rodriguez is the one he has the prototypical size to be that, you know, sort of early down type dude also probably big enough for some goal line work. So you never know. But that's probably where my head's at, at least as far as fantasy relevance goes. I am also a fan of anybody who spells Lou phonetically.
0: Jared, who else do you like among the day three running backs? Yeah, just on Rodriguez, he's
1: interesting too as far as the landing spot goes because there is a new O.C. in Washington, Eric Bieniemy, so that you know maybe opens things up a bit more. Raina. Maybe Robinson isn't quite locked in as the lead ball carrier, so that's interesting. Um, I, I like Chase Brown, who went to the Bengals. I mean, we were all expecting the Bengals to add a running back. I think we expected them to do it earlier, and I think waiting until day three means that Joe Mixon is going to be their guy again this season, but it's the final year of Mixon's deal, and I, I'd be surprised if they bring him back beyond – 2023 so and and this is day three so that's not to say chase brown is like gonna be the guy starting in 2024 but at least there's an opportunity for him to be the guy and he's a pretty interesting prospect too i mean he spent five years in college so that's not great uh the first was at western michigan then he was at illinois the past four years but he was illinois's lead back each of the last three seasons 328 carries last year for over 1600 yards also caught 27 balls Last year, he's 209 pounds, so he's, you know, big enough to, you know, maybe not be a workhorse, but be a team's lead back. And he ran a 4.43 at the Combine, a 40-inch vertical. He earned a 98th percentile relative athletic score, so he has the athleticism. So, Chase Brown, you know, he's maybe the handcuff to Mixon this season. You're not going to get anything from him beyond that. But in you know, 2024, there's at least an outside chance that he's the, the lead back for, for one of the best offenses in the NFL.
0: Yeah. Don't get too excited. Like we've talked about some other guys don't say he's definitely the handcuff this year. And then he's definitely taken over next year because that's not how fifth round picks work. But both of those things is possible. I agree. I'm high on Chase Brown for where he's going. Since you picked him, I will mention Eric Gray. I will mention Evan Hull because they both went in the same in the same range as well. Eric Gray. Is not an exciting prospect because of his 4'6", 240. I mentioned him in a short the other day, though. He was productive at Tennessee immediately to kick off his career, despite Ty Chandler being in the same backfield there. Then he transferred after two years, finished at Oklahoma, had a big final season at Oklahoma, 1,595 total yards. You know, slow 40 makes him a weak long-term bet, but with the Giants, he's got to beat out Matt Breida to be the number two back behind Saquon Barkley. So he's a Barkley injury from significant work this year. And then Evan Hull, he's a Jonathan Taylor injury, probably from significant work. He was a productive pass catcher throughout college and like to an enviable level, a player that we liked. I think this is a sneaky good landing spot because of the handcuff value to Jonathan Taylor. We're not going to get standalone value, but you know most number two running backs, we don't want to start in fantasy. We want to pick committee guys, and high ceiling handcuffs, and in Indy, he's got Zach Moss's competition. He's got Deion Jackson's competition. That's beautiful competition. If you're a rookie running back trying to carve out a role, so I like both of those guys as handcuffs heading into this season. Sleeper time, Herm's. Why don't you start us off with a non-running back sleeper for Dynasty?
2: Oh, gee, hold! On. I gotta look this guy's name up. Please come back to me. I have <laughs> I have a good one. I swear.
0: Jared, hit us with a a non-running back sleeper for Dynasty. Yeah, I didn't know how uh, sleepy you wanted this sleeper to
1: be. So maybe this is, you know, too too up the board. But I I wanted to talk about Cedric Tillman, who I liked quite a bit heading into the draft. And I, I think his landing spot, is better than a lot of I've seen a lot of people talking about w- with Cleveland. He went in the early third round. So that's kind of I think where we expected the draft capital to be. And I- I'm just in on this Browns offense in the passing game specifically. I think we're starting to see a, you know, philosophical shift in Cleveland to more of a pass-centric offense. You just look at the moves they've made over the past couple of years. I mean, obviously the Deshaun Watson trade to get what they hope is an elite quarterback. Uh, they bring in Amari Cooper. They sign David Njoku to an extension. They, they make the deal for Elijah Moore. Then they spend a third-round pick on Cedric Tillman. So I just think this is going to become a offense that revolves around Watson and the passing game. I mentioned all his wide receivers, obviously crowded out of the gate for Cedric Tillman. But Donovan Peoples-Jones is in the final year of his rookie deal. I think Cleveland sees Tillman as insurance or an eventual replacement for DPJ if he kind of prices himself out on the free agent market next off season. And then even Mark Cooper, I mean, he's signed for just two more years. So you think longer term, like there's a chance for, I think, Tillman to be a big part of this passing game in a passing game that I, I expect to bounce back from last year. You know, we know it was, it was ugly with Watson last year, but I think it's going to be a lot better in uh, 2023 and beyond.
0: Yeah, I think if you look at just NFL draft capital, you're like early round three. That's not a sleeper. But if you look at where Cedric Tillman's mm-hmm. going, he's lasting because people are looking at Cleveland. And they're like, well, they've got so many receivers. Murray Cooper, Elijah Moore, Donovan Peoples Jones. Cedric Tillman's not even going to play. No thanks. But I mean, Donovan Peoples Jones is a former sixth rounder. He's been yeah, good. He's been a good downfield guy, but it's not like he's a clear building block. Elijah Moore sucked last year to the point that the team that drafted him in round two gave up on him. So he might be nothing going forward. So, you know, there's a path to Cedric Tillman pretty early in his career being at least the number two there. You mentioned Amari Cooper isn't signed long term. So who knows? I agree. I think he qualifies
2: for sleeper time here. Herms, who's your guy? I really thought I could recall it off the top of my head. I was wrong, but I found it, and this is a really fun one. So, Elijah Higgins going mm-hmm. in the sixth round to the Miami Dolphins. He's kind of like a wide receiver, tight end, tweener. I think if he changes positions, he could be a lot of fun. So, six foot three, 235 pounds. Like, he tested pretty well athletically at the NFL combine. And Lance Zerline the guy over there at NFL.com comped him to Jordan Reed. Okay. So like there's not a ton of college production to go off of because like I said, he was playing wide receiver, but he does have the frame big enough to play tight end. And it's kind of a callback to the stuff we were saying about the Dolphins offense earlier. What do they have at tight end? Really? (laughs) I know Matt, you didn't want us to name any more of them, but this one actually could be fun. If he makes the full transition, he does have the physical prowess to do, all sorts of fun stuff like that as a pass, uh, no, like catch first type player in that offense, which they could desperately use. So, you know, if you're just in the deepest of deep dynasty leagues and you have some taxi squad spots, take a chance on Elijah Higgins. As we
0: saw with Mike Gasecki last year, he's definitely going to need to put on some weight and prove that he can block to actually stay on the field for these dolphins. But I agree with the opportunity being available. I'm looking taxi squad level as well. And super flex league specifically. I'm going to bring up Jake Hayner, the quarterback for Fresno state round four pick by the saints, small, not the strongest arm. I know it sounds exciting, but he started 29 games over the past three years for Fresno state after transferring there. He was a team captain for all three of those years. So he transferred, spent a year sitting out. And then the next year, his team's like, Hey, you're the captain now. He was efficient. He's accurate. 68.2% career completions, 8.4 yards per attempt, 67 touchdowns, 17 picks in his time at Fresno State. Dane Brugler pointed out that he averaged 302 passing yards per game in five career starts against Pac-12 teams. So the level of competition wasn't great, but when he did play a higher level, he performed up to it. He's got Derek Carr, another Fresno State alum, in case people forgot about that. Andrew Breeze because he got drafted as a Saints as resources for learning over these next couple of years. He apparently has already gotten to review film with Drew Breeze. So, he's going to have some pretty good teammates on his side to learn the game. We'll see if there's anything there. He might just be Chase Daniel long term. That's why he's a taxi squad guy. But if he doesn't become anything, you drop him, you lose nothing. If he does become something, then, you know, what do we say, Jared, in these dynasty superflex leagues, you want to be the first of the backup quarterbacks. Yeah. If Jake Hayner looks like he can get on the field. And another of the things Brugler said about him is that he's comfy under pressure. He doesn't get rattled. He's, he knows how to lead his receivers to a spot. So if he quickly proves that he's ready to be a backup, he's a Derek Carr injury away from yeah. playing in games. Yeah, I think definitely
1: worth a pick in super flex leagues if you go, you know, like five plus rounds. By the way, while you were talking about Jay kaner which I, I didn't expect any Jay Kainer to talk on this pod, but I did. I looked up um, Elijah Higgins and, on FFPC, which is tight end premium. He is listed as a tight end there already,
2: which Let's is go. good news for
1: his value. So and those rookie drafts go, what, are they like seven or eight rounds, I think? Um, so he's definitely worth a pick when you get to, to the end of those and you know, tight end premium scoring.
0: And the best ball ones go even farther than that. I'm in a best ball dynasty league and it goes at least 10 rounds. So thanks, Herms. I'm going to be looking at Elijah Higgins now. Got you. You can check our rookie rankings right now for one quarterback leagues, for super flex leagues. As I mentioned, I highly recommend you check out the full dynasty rankings with one year, three year, five year, and 10 year outlooks. Of course, they all power the draft war room. We've been using those this week for our rookie drafts. For our startup drafts, they're available for best ball drafts. If you're doing those instead of Dynasty right now, Draft warren will sync to the site on which you're doing your draft. It'll give you customized pick recommendations at every single turn. So get on that. Hit draftsharks.com now. Check it all out. We'll be back here to pod every week to give you much more. We're going to be shifting away from the rookies, getting into more redraft stuff. The projections are up on the site so you can check it out, see some of the things that we're going to be talking about, and subscribe here so that you don't miss any of these shows or any of the shorter content that comes out in between for Jared, for Herms, for the rest of the draft sharks crew. I'm Matt shop saying thanks so much for swimming with us.